Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Today is a part of the, uh, today's episode, I should say, is part of USU's Year of the Arts. And we're going to spend the hour with Gentry, the Gentleman Trio, Utah-based group. Before we jump into some conversation, I wanted you to get a little taste of their music. Here is just about a minute from their song called Home. And soon, dear, you'll find me where the stars meet. So that's a taste of their music. Gentry, the gentleman, mu- uh, gentleman trio, was established in June of 2014. It's comprised of three tenors, Brad Robbins, Casey Elliott, and Bradley Quinn Lever. They uh, have a signature sound that they describe as cinematic pop. The music of Gentry is uh, transfused with lush orchestrations and dynamic three-part harmonies, all composed by the group's producer and music director, Stephen Nelson. Gentry has performed with Adina Menzel, Marmot Tabernacle Choir, and the rock band Journey. And uh, they are uh, touring a lot these days, uh, getting uh, quite a bit of buzz. They have been up uh, the past couple of years for Christmas concerts with the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra. We feature them on today's episode, which is a part of USU's Year of the Arts. In the conversation, I hope you stay tuned for, we'll uh, hear about uh, the name, how that came about, the mission, um, and uh, getting branding advice from Donnie Osman. We'll hear some fun stories from the theater. Each of these uh, tenors has extensive experience in the theater in Utah. We'll uh, talk about how the sound was uh, developed uh, and interactions with uh, uh, groups uh, in Utah, such as the Piano Guys. And we'll hear some favorite Christmas music traditions from the gentleman. So here's part one of my conversation with Gentry, the Gentleman Trio. So uh, let me start with you, uh, Brad. Gentry, the, the subtitle of your group is the Gentleman Trio. So Gentry is Gentleman Trio? Exactly. Gentry is short for the Gentleman Trio. And that, and that really stems back to kind of the, the core message of the group, which is, which is about uh, not only entertaining but inspiring, you know, wanting to stand for something bigger than ourselves. Um, you know, we're kind of known for our, our, our suits and our pocket squares, and there's kind of a style element. But... Uh, really, our music I- embodies messages of hope and inspiration and healing and, and things that uh, you know, we strive to be as, as individuals, but, but things that really resonate universally, irrespective of culture or language or, or whatever. Tell me a little bit about that style. I was, I was on your website just today with a friend, and uh, she mentioned Mad Men. Is, is it a throwback kind of a style, or what style are you going for? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So... You know, when we first started, we thought we were going to do theater stuff. 
you know, just, just because that's where we come from is the theater world. And uh, what we liked about theater is the big orchestral epic kind of sound. And uh, as we started to get into things more, we, we thought, you know, we don't want to necessarily limit ourselves to just doing theater because we want to write our own music. And, you know, the first person we called was Steven Nelson, uh, who is our music director, producer, arranger, composer, you name it. And Steven has this knack for film scoring and not only film scoring, but writing pop music. And so we thought, what would it be like if we combined the elements of orchestral film scoring with pop music and thus the the cinematic pop idea was kind of born cinematic pop so uh, Stephen tell me about that sound well for me it was um, exciting to be able to get to um, fully express myself orchestrally when you actually score to film you have to do it with one hand tied behind your back basically there's always somebody speaking there's always some explosion happening there's always something that's that you have to score around and therefore not fully express yourself. So in this space, we get to actually fuse pop and also that cinematic scoring sound. And I get to do it as dramatically and as <laughs> mm. indulgently as I'd like. And so it's a dream come true for me. And to have these kinds of voices pull it off is, is uh, icing on the cake for me. Well, I, I love film music. And, and those two words, I think, are the reasons I love it. You know, dramatic, indulgent. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it's positive for me anyway. Uh, Bradley, tell me how Gentry came about. How did how did the group form? It was actually first an idea from Casey's wife. She had attended a, a convention of sorts, and there was a male group there that performed, and she came home that evening and told Casey and I, you know, you guys should form a group. We were currently uh, performing in Les Mis at Health Center Theater, and so we, we just found that we really enjoyed performing together. And uh, we wanted to figure a way to continue performing together. And that was kind of where it was spawned. Maybe you have to, you have mm-hmm. to share, though, what our initial reaction was when she said that. Oh, we, we, we were like, what? You want us to form like a, a boy band or something? <laughs> <laughs> I think we said like, um, Zarelda, aren't we a little old for that? <laughs> Even though deep down we were all very excited because yes. it's something we've all wanted to do since mm-hmm. we were little, you know. Yeah. But we like to refer it to the man band. Yeah, the a man band. <laughs> the yeah. man band. Do you? I, I wonder if you fit that. Uh, every boy band had a had the tough one and the you know the heartthrob and the you know there there are certain roles. I, I think I think we've got it covered. We've got Bradley Quinn here, who's you know he's he's. Uh, We'll say he he appeals to the younger crowd. You okay. Know? We've got uh, Casey here, who's you know kind of the the middle aged women heartthrob, and then there's me, who pretty much reminds every older woman of their grandson. <laughs> you know, I get the, the cheek pinches and good cute little guy. You, you you get the cheek pinches. <laughs> yes, that's me. That's it. You, you take one for the team. I guess yeah. that's, that's good. Yeah. I want to talk about that though. Heartthrob. There is an element of that, whether you intended it or not. That's the reaction I hear. From, you know, some friend, oh, you're going to talk to Gentry? Oh, they're, you know, they're so cute. Mm. There, there is that. I, I, I'm sure you don't want that to be the totality. You want people to get to your music, right? But No, certainly. You know, we, we, uh, when we first started, we, we were able to consult with some, some pretty incredible individuals, one of which actually happened to be Donnie Osmond. Um, we were able to schedule a, a phone call with him, and, and he just really emphasized on that same call time and time again the importance of branding. And, you know, we try to be very, very calculated in the things that we release in that we want to 
we want to portray an image. And again, it's we want it to be authentic first and foremost. We don't ever want to put something out that that we can't get behind, but but we do. We want we want to put forward a uh, an image of of strength, of confidence, and and the thing that's been most satisfying about doing that has been watching pictures get sent to us from mothers of their sons who were sporting pocket squares or mm. or who started singing because they saw the gentry guys doing it and you know maybe they weren't good at sports but they found they loved music and suddenly because gentry did it it was cool and they didn't mm. have to feel you know self-conscious or whatever so it's uh, again it's it, it all comes back to standing for something bigger than ourselves that that first and foremost serves as a reminder of the kind of men we want to be but more importantly a message that uh that goes out into the world and, and ultimately inspires others to be their best self mm-hmm. as well. Interesting. Donnie Osmond seems like a good person to reach out to. He's had to navigate these things for a lot of years, yeah. Mm-hmm. Casey, I wonder if you could expand on what the goal of Gentry is. What what do you want to put out there? What do you want people's response to be? It's a good question. I When we started out, we set our sights high. We sort of said, let's perform with the best symphony orchestras throughout the world and in the best venues throughout the world. And I think that's still a goal of ours. And, and certainly this performance up here with Craig Jessup and the amazing orchestra and choir is a fulfillment of that goal and definitely on the track to go beyond from here. But, you know, I think the overall goal at the end of the day, if we can look back and, and look at the, um, the music we've created, the videos we've created, the performances we've performed, and if those things can touch people, and if people can feel empowered to be better, to be their best selves, mission accomplished. Mm. Bradley, I wonder uh, if you could talk about this. I think you guys all started in theater, theater background, mm. and you wanted this project to have theatrical elements, but it's it's a different animal too. How are you navigating that? Oh, yeah. It's really a completely different animal. You know, we have done theater here in Utah, and a lot of the time we're performing to tracks, right? So we, uh, as in Gentry, we yes, we do perform to tracks, but we're performing with live symphony orchestras. Mm-hmm. So that's a new, that's a new thing for me personally. Um, so that's it's, it's been wonderful. But in terms of not becoming a theatrical music group, I think uh, it's it's just been like a learning and growing process, and it's been wonderful. And I'd maybe just add to that too that. I think our theater training has really prepared mm-hmm. us to do this. I mean, mm-hmm. we we've had the opportunity to talk to musicians who have been at you know this you know recording artist slash live performance for decades, and I think something that's unique to our group is we are able to step into a situation where we may not get much rehearsal time with the orchestra. We may not, you know, we may see the music that morning, or, or we may have to do something on the fly. And our theater training has really prepared us well to kind of roll with the punches on stage because in theater, if anyone's ever participated in a production, uh, you know that if something can go wrong, it absolutely will. And, you know, for someone that maybe hasn't been exposed to the the challenges of theater, that could be tough on stage in front of a lot of people. But mm-hmm. we found that some of our best shows have actually been when things do go wrong. Just to give you kind of an example, we were performing a few months ago and in the middle of one of our songs a spider came down <laughs> and landed on someone's ear <laughs> and and somehow they managed to not, you know, break character so to speak while we were performing but then as we were talking it, it came back and I think it was you that like screamed was, like a, a girl and it was amazing and <laughs> I'm not it was proud of it. Shriek. But <laughs> but, but you own it I guess that you know yeah, it yeah. happened. Exactly. I love those stories. Anybody else have Those are the most interesting stories when things go wrong. <laughs> 
Oh man, there's so many, so many of them. I mean, one that comes to mind is the Les Mis story. This was uh, pre-Gentry, but actually during the whole kind of conception of Gentry as the Les Mis production was going on. Um, so Brad Robbins played Marius and I played Jean Valjean. And there's a moment in the show where Marius comes onto the stage bringing a letter for Cosette that he's supposed to pass off to Eponine. And then Eponine gives that letter to Jean Valjean and he opens it on stage. He's the only person on stage, opens it and reads this sort of like this letter. Um, anyways, Brad uh, forgot to bring the letter. <laughs> so <laughs> he's on stage and uh, passes this Im- fake imaginary letter off to Eponine and kind of with this look of, I'm so sorry, I don't have it. <laughs> and her wide-eyed look of, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And then when finally she gets to me and supposed to pass the letter off to me, same kind of wide-eyed look, like, mm. I don't have the letter. Good luck, buddy. <laughs> Good luck. And so I, you know, we mimed exchanging this letter and and it wouldn't have been so bad if there were other things happening on stage, but Jean Valjean at that point, he's the only one on stage. Mm-hmm. And it's theater in the round, so you can't like kind of fake it with a shoulder. <laughs> and so I just slowly look at my hand and open up my fingers <laughs> and I'm looking at my head as if like something's written on it <laughs> as I read, sing this letter. but. Um, you know, that's the great thing with live performances, you know, things like that go wrong, but, mm. um, you make the most of it. And at the end of the day, they make great stories. Yeah, yeah they do. They do. Anyone else where something went horribly wrong? You know, you know BQ, could... what about the Joseph one? I thought that was pretty funny. Oh yeah. So Casey and I, we, at Hell Center Theater in West Valley, they double cast their shows. And so he and I have played several roles. Um, several of the same roles and we did a production of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat and there was one performance where you must have been sick yeah, or something super sick, super sick. It was struggling during the show so um, at intermission I told the stage manager you gotta call Bradley I'm not gonna make it because at the end of the show there's a reprise of Close Every Door mm-hmm. and I'm thinking ahead like oh my gosh this the is gonna be a train wreck <laughs> yeah and I was at the time in Orem, Utah mowing my lawn (laughs) I believe get a call from the stage manager who says can you be here in it must have been I mean you you had to be going 90 miles an hour it was I was driving fast um anyways I I get to the theater literally well I don't know if I can tell this I threw my shirt off because Joseph didn't wear a shirt (laughs) they put a wig on me I put the costume on, threw the uh, colorful coat on, and ran out on stage and sang "Close Every Door." Well, so so you have to go back because what happened was the end the end of the show closing note. There's a blackout, right? And right. and then the lights go back on, and everybody has vacated, and it's just Joseph. So during that blackout, I run off. You run on. I ran on. <laughs> and then the lights come up, and it's him. <laughs> and I I sing the song, but the best part about the entire story is that somebody at the very end of that song yelled, we love you, Casey! <laughs> <laughs> they so bought it. it. Yeah, they bought they it. They bought it. <laughs> and I remember, I remember I went out to greet the audience after the show, and I heard people walking down. I was like, 
Was that the same? Was that the same Joseph? <laughs> was that Joseph's little brother? <laughs> what was? Just give him a chance to. Because so. you do look slightly different. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We do fun. get mm-hmm. people all the time think that we're brothers, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's a, some similarities in the look too. Yeah, yeah. there's mm-hmm. a little bit of a, yeah. a height difference, but I, I think we, we <laughs> like a foot. Yeah, <laughs> but on stage, on but stage. yeah, on no, stage, yeah. yeah, it totally worked. So that was fun. Uh, Stephen, I, w- I wonder if you talk about the sound. The sound in studio, you have more control over it versus the sound live. Yes. And how do you navigate that? Because you know it's very rich sound that you're going for, right? Yeah, it's great with my control issues. I will admit, mm. uh, uh, being in the studio, because then um, what we do is we we kind of deconstruct the orchestra so that we can have the best case scenario in the mixing process. So we we record all the strings separately and all of the woodwinds separately and all the brass separately, which gives us a chance to get the the perfect balance to have the original vision portrayed the way that I would like it to be. Uh, That being said, when we perform live, like for example, this event now, there's something exciting about seeing how it shakes out with a new conductor, having it being felt a little bit differently, adding a choir like we hadn't done before. In fact, we're probably going to miss the choir with the future shows we have when Mm -hmm. we just have the orchestra because we didn't realize how amazing it would be. And I think that's a testament to how talented the people are here. So it's been great. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and we're spending the hour with Gentry, the Gentleman Trio. They're a Utah-based group consisting of three tenors, Brad Robbins, Casey Elliott, and Bradley Quinn Lever, and their music director, Stephen Nelson. And we're talking with all four of these gentlemen on the program today. Uh, By the way, you can hear Gentry along with the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra and many other performers from the uh, American Festival Chorus and Orchestra's 2016 Christmas concerts. We're broadcasting that concert a couple more times here on Utah Public Radio. The next broadcast is Thursday evening, 9 p.m., the 21st. Thursday the 21st, 9 p.m., and then on Christmas Day at 2 p.m. You can hear Gentry with American Festival Chorus and Orchestra with some great Christmas music. Uh, Before we go to break, let's hear some more music of uh, Gentry. And uh, this is a song there's called Dare.
That's Gentry, the Gentleman Trio, a song called Dare. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we'll uh, continue our conversation with the uh, four gentlemen. We'll get to know each of them and their background. They're all Utah uh, born and raised. And uh, we'll name drop Journey, Piano Guys, and Josh Groban. Talk about how uh, Gentry classifies their music. More following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and USU Year of the Arts, celebrating the power of the arts to elevate the human spirit and affirming the university's commitment to the arts. More information at usu.edu slash year of the arts. When Shabana was just six years old, she went undercover. Every day was like a mission. Like something straight out of a spy movie. We left home at random times. We came home at random times. We couldn't pass the same convenience store every day. And all of this stealth, all this secrecy, just so she could go to school. In order to get an education. Going undercover? That's next time on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Join us Sunday afternoon at 2 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're spending the hour with Gentry, the Gentleman Trio. The group's comprised of three tenors, Brad Robbins, Casey Elliott, and Bradley Quinn Lever, along with her music director, Stephen Nelson. Before we go to more conversation, here's uh, a portion of another of their songs. This one's called Don't Let Go. Now more of my conversation with Gentry, the Gentleman Trio. They're comprised of three tenors, Brad Robbins, Casey Elliott, Bradley Quinn Lever. We're also talking with their music uh, director, Stephen Nelson. I'd like to get to know briefly each one of you, maybe uh, starting with Brad. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I grew up in Davis County in Centerville, Utah. Um, really started to, I didn't even get into singing until later in high school. And uh, it was a production of Les Mis that really introduced me to not only the the fun that uh, music and theater in particular brings, but but the power of it. And then uh, I, I studied uh, business down at BYU, but uh, took my sweet time getting through college because I couldn't stop performing and uh, got to travel with a group known as the Young Ambassadors down there. And uh, immediately after I graduated, had the opportunity to do Les Mis with these guys. And uh, I mean, the rest is history from there. I mean, it just kind of dovetailed one thing to the next. And I am married going on four years now. No kids. She's also a performer. She spent the last couple of summers down at Tuacon playing roles like Mary Poppins and Snow White. And she played Jane and was, was a part of the Hunchback of Notre Dame down there when they premiered it. So it's been, it's been fun and, and really satisfying being married to someone who, who understands the weird hours that performers mm-hmm. inevitably get to enjoy, we'll say. Casey. 
Yeah, so uh, my family is very musical. My parents kind of come from the 80s rock band era. So my mom's a singer, my dad's a composer, piano player. And uh, I was born and lived in Riverside, California until I was about nine. So those first nine years of my life, my parents were in this band. And that was kind of the world I knew. They had a garage studio and and uh, I would just, I would park myself under my dad's piano and just listen to them rehearse and write music. And so I was, you know, I didn't really know anything differently music-wise. I just thought, yeah, music is just a part of my life. It's great. I remember getting for Christmas one year a karaoke machine, <laughs> and the only tape that came with this karaoke machine was Tina Turner yes. song. <laughs> what's What's love got to do with it? <laughs> and uh, so I I remember sitting in my living room just jamming out to that song right alongside Michael Bolton. <laughs> um, so that gives you an idea of my musical background. <laughs> Uh, but I started taking voice lessons in um, in uh, high school. I was uh, well in ninth grade. I was fifteen. Uh, actually, Brad Robbins and I took from the same teacher, the same voice teacher. And it was wasn't until that point where I really started to focus on singing technique that I, I realized that I could do different things with my voice other than sing Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, shortly thereafter, I got involved with theater and it was just, it was game over. After I was introduced to live theater, I just, I lived in the theater department at my high school, Woods Cross High. And I was fortunate to have the most incredible theater teacher, Janet Cook. She just retired a few years ago, but you know, that's really what kind of hooked me into the performing arts was that high school experience. Mm-hmm. By the way, with your with your parents' background, Gentry has performed with Journey. Were they impressed? Yes. <laughs> yeah, they were for sure. They, I remember them coming up to me after that performance, and they were like, "Yeah, we used to do all of those songs mm. in the old band days." It was like very nostalgic for them. <laughs> Bradley, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah, I um, I grew up in Murray, Utah, and uh, kind of got into music in a roundabout way. I didn't really know I loved singing that much until this girl in, I believe, junior high kept bugging me about being in this performing group. They said, we need boys to help us with these lifts and things. And for three years straight, she bugged and bugged and bugged me. And uh, I decided to go to one of their rehearsals. And there were lots of cute girls there. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And as a boy in junior high who played a lot of sports, I'm like, you know what? I can do this. This this will be all right. And I just, you know, loved it. Uh, we went on tour all over the place, and the people were different. They were kind and um, accepting, and they saw something in me that I didn't really see in myself and, uh, and just fell in love with performing and did choir in high school and then uh, served an LDS mission. After my mission, I actually um, thought, you know, why don't I take, a, some, like, take another stab at performing? And I saw in the paper uh, that Health Center Theater was advertising auditions for Phantom. And my mom said, you know, you should go audition. So I I went to the theater and I auditioned and somehow I made it to callbacks. Um, somehow I made it to callbacks for the Phantom <laughs> and went through that. And then I, I made the show. And halfway through the rehearsal process, I 
realized that it wasn't Phantom of the Opera, <laughs> that it was Phantom, <laughs> the musical, but the, uh, it's a different musical. Anyways, long story short, I fell in love with theater people as well. I fell in love with performing, you know, started taking voice lessons and just, you know, with Gentry, the great thing is that each of us have different skills and abilities. I went to school for sociology, but I really am a creative at heart. I do a lot of graphic design, videography, photography, and we've, luckily for me, I've been able to use that in Gentry, and it's been really, really great. So, you know, worlds have just collided in a way that's really been great. Being a performing group in today's world, I think, requires some of those skills, doesn't it? Yeah. Videography, yeah. and you have to yeah. be online, and you have to be on social media, and, and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, maybe, I don't know, a different interaction with your fans? I mean, it's an extra layer, or extra layers of interaction. Yeah, I mean... You know, we used to joke at the beginning and say, we do this part-time, but we can't even say that with a clear conscience anymore. I mean, this is this is a full-time gig. And there's the onstage element, but as Bradley alluded to, uh, it really is the perfect storm of offstage skills. I mean, Bradley handles all the creative aspects. Steven is really uh, the musical mastermind of the group, and Casey and I kind of tag-team the administrative and and kind of uh, managerial things. Um, we've got to also have a great manager, uh, Doug Olson, who... Really, at this point especially, with just the the success we've seen over such a short amount of time, it has gotten to the point where we couldn't even self-manage anymore. We needed to get some outside help. But it's, it's definitely a team effort. And I think one of the things that's unique to this group especially is I think we enjoy the stuff we do offstage in creating and managing as much as we do actually performing. And it really has been incredible to create something that... Uh, Again, is bigger than ourselves, but something that we just legitimately enjoy twenty four seven, no matter what it is we're doing. So you talk about all the elements in today's modern world. I thought of you know another Utah based uh, group, Piano Guys. Mm-hmm. They seem to do a really good job of being on all platforms. Yeah, I don't know if you know those guys. Talk to those guys. Yeah, we certainly know of them. Um, yeah. I followed their work for some time, you know, and they, in in a lot of ways, are kind of pioneers, you know, and in the music video realm and how music videos exist today online, you know, and I think we aspire to be at their level, you know, someday and would, would actually love to work with them. It hasn't, the opportunity hasn't been presented yet, but certainly looking forward to someday working with them. And that, I think, would be a wonderful collaboration. Stephen, tell us a little bit about your background. I grew up being completely fascinated by music. So I I would wake up when I was five and six with my older sisters, waking up early before school to practice piano. And then uh, when they would leave, I'm told, I don't remember this, (laughs) that I would go and I'd try to figure it out by ear because I had such an itch to try to figure out how music worked. And then, you know, fast forward to me um, learning how to read music, which opened up doors to figure out how to write music or at least notate the music that was in my head. And I quickly became very fascinated by uh, orchestration itself. I started with songwriting and arranging and just kind of figuring out how, why things sound different with different chords and stuff. And then from orchestrating, I jumped into film scoring, or at least orchestrating like I was film scoring, because I did not film score when I was in high school, not actual films. And that is kind of the train that I stayed on for a long time until early in my 20s, I realized that there's not a lot of doors that that were available to me at the time where I could actually get what I had studied for so many years onto a film. So I switched gears then to working with pop artists. And so I did a lot of synth pop and some country and some hip hop, believe it or not, and rock and and, um, 
that kind of opened the spectrum of of how I could express myself musically until I could start putting it into the film score like elements that I was hoping to to write music in. So then when Gentry came along, uh, that was the dream come true because now I get to to do that pop side and produce like it's a pop album and yet I still get to score like it's a film. So it's best case scenario for me. Is you might be a good one to at least start this question with. Where do we fit Gentry in our minds, and, and is that categorization fading? So Gentry has been on both classical charts and classical crossover charts. Is that what Gentry is, or what? How do you describe it? You know, I think that's a great question. I think what it's turned into, and I don't think we even meant for this to happen, is kind of its own thing, because it's not quite classical, although there are elements like using vibrato in the way that they do with their musical theater background. And yet it's not fully pop in that it doesn't have the traditional elements that come with pop music, uh, especially like synth elements and a lot of like heavy guitars and stuff. And yet it does incorporate both of those things. So it would be a crossover, but I'm not sure a better way to put it. If anybody else has any I would say one of the things that, that really manifests the uniqueness of the sound is the diversity and demographic. When you go to a Gentry show... One comes to mind, we were performing at a, an outdoor festival. There were about 3,000 people there. And when we started kind of looking around the musical landscape, looking at similar artists, like like a Josh Groban, for example, similar sound vocally, at least. You know, he uh, I went to one of his concerts in Salt Lake City, and, and it was pretty much, you know, women ages 35 to 55, uh, and uh, the husband or man that they had to drag there, you know. And as we go to our shows, we see... At this particular one I'm referring to, we had this whole line of like preteen slash teeny bopper at the front of the stage acting like we were one direction, you know, <laughs> and we couldn't be further from one direction, but they were enjoying it just as much. And then, of course, just behind them were these middle aged and even older women acting just like the teenagers, you know, just just screaming and having a great time. And and that really is the magic of what Steven's been able to create for us from a sound perspective is is there's, there's something for everyone musically in our show, whether it's one of our acoustic covers where we're able to, to cover well-known songs or songs from the 80s or whatever it might be, or even our original material that have you know timeless orchestral elements, but there's a contemporary spin that appeals to a younger, more current generation. You mentioned Josh Groban. Um, I'm a big opera buff. And so when I first became aware of Josh Groban, my first reaction was, what a waste. With that voice, I want to see him on the opera stage. Later on, I came around to you know see what he was doing, and maybe could reach a much wider audience. And I wonder if any of you have any thoughts about that. You know, my initial reaction, which I'm sure is still out there, and then today's world, which is seems like those boundaries are coming down fast. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I you know I think Josh Groban, and then shortly thereafter Andrea Pocelli, Although Andrea Pocelli mm-hmm. is definitely more on the opera side. Both of those artists, they really started to bridge that gap, you know, and I think hearing somebody with vibrato like Josh Groban on the mainstream radio was like really different for most people. And I think it's probably done good both ways. You know, I think some people having been exposed to that sound have sort of been exposed and become more interested in the opera world. And I think the opera world conversely has become more interested in the pop world. And so I think that's the the cool thing about crossover genres is you start to pick up 
followership, you know, from both sides. And, you know, as we've talked to different symphony orchestras and stuff around the country, they're all kind of in this predicament of like, how do we bring in these, the younger audiences? And I think a genre like ours is a potential answer to that, you know, in some respects where we're not super far in the classical realm of things, not super far in the pop realm, just kind of in that in between, but have something to, to sort of give to both fans of those genres. So yeah, well, I mean, we'll see, you know, mm-hmm. how it's received. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and I hope you're enjoying the music and the conversation. We're talking with Utah-based uh, artists, Gentry, the Gentleman Trio. A uh, programming note, uh, Gentry was involved in the 2017 and preceding that 2016 Christmas shows from the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra. And you can hear the 2016 concert broadcast on Utah Public Radio a couple more times. Premiered last night, but you can hear it again Thursday, December 21st at 9 p.m. And then on Christmas Day at 2 p.m. I should mention that uh, you can find uh, uh, information about Gentry at gentrymusic.com. They are uh, doing a lot of traveling this winter. They'll be in Ohio, uh, Texas, Alabama, Arizona, Iowa, California. Uh, They do have an upcoming concert in St. George at the Cox Performing Arts Center on December 18th. Before we go to break, let's hear just about 30 seconds of another Gentry song, this one called Soldier. That's Gentry, the Gentleman Trio, and we'll have more music and more conversation following a break. We're going to talk about uh, the gentleman performing with Adina Mansell, and we'll uh, get uh, their famous, uh, favorite Christmas music and traditions. That's coming up more following the break. You've probably heard the expression, build a better mousetrap, and the world will beat a path to your door. This old adage has inspired countless improvements on that original spring-loaded machine, and motivated engineers to constantly improve the way things work. That same drive to make things better also shows up in engineering classrooms. Engineering education researchers at Utah State University are studying new teaching processes, exploring theories about how people learn and retain information, and redesigning the classroom experience to put quality teaching first. Improving engineering education, experts say, is one of the most important steps to increasing the number of students who graduate with an engineering degree. Support on Utah Public Radio for Creating Tomorrow is provided in part by our members and the College of Engineering at Utah State University, offering an engineering education PhD to help today's teachers become tomorrow's engineering education leaders. Learn more at engineering.usu.edu. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're spending the hour with Gentry, the Gentleman Trio. And before we go to uh, the last part of our conversation with the gentleman, um, we're, we're going to get into talking about uh, Christmas traditions and memories. And uh, let's proceed that with uh, Gentry's rendition, at least a couple of minutes of this, from a Christmas standard, O Holy Night.
night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're spending the hour with Gentry, the Gentleman Trio. They're a, uh, three tenors, Brad Robbins, Casey Elliott, Bradley Quinn Lever, uh, Utah-based, and they call their sound cinematic pop. And uh, we're also talking with the group's music director, Stephen uh, Nelson. Hope you're enjoying the conversation and the music. Here's the final part of my conversation with Gentry. I want to uh, talk a bit about uh, Christmas music and holiday traditions. One last question before that, uh, name-dropping. So you guys perform mm-hmm. with Edina Mansell, who became very famous as the, as the voice of, from Frozen. <laughs> and uh, it's, you know, in, in many of our heads in a permanent loop, you know. <laughs> yeah. what, what was it like performing with her? Yeah, so we, we got to perform with Idina um, as part of a concert series called Utah's Stars and Friends. And uh, we had the opportunity to open for her alongside our good friend Lexi Walker and, uh, and actually meet Idina after the show. And, uh, I mean, it, it doesn't get much bigger than that in the theater world than Idina Menzel. So for us, it was really an honor and quite a treat to not only uh, get to share the same stage with her, but, like I said, meet her afterwards and then, and then sit and watch her show. And uh, it, was, it was every bit as magical as you would expect, particularly on, you know, the Let It Go. You know, there were just countless... Uh, screaming girls, young girls at that. Mm-hmm. And, and at one point, she actually sat at the front of the yeah. stage. And took her shoes off. Took mm-hmm. her shoes off as though <laughs> she was like in the living room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And invited these kids um, anywhere in the arena to come up and sit on stage with her. I think she even had one girl dressed like Elsa, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the princess from Frozen. And, and Casey's daughter, right? Oh, that's yeah. right. Da- Casey's mm-hmm. daughter was yeah. in the audience. And- well, so what was the song that she... She went out and she wanted to sing this song from Rent. From Rent, yeah. With somebody in the audience. And so she was like, anybody who knows this song, raise your hand. <laughs> and my, my eight-year-old daughter raised her hand <laughs> because she thought that she had said, let it go. <laughs> oh. And, of course, like my daughter's never heard anything from Rent. 
Um, <laughs> and so she's raising her hand and Adina makes her way over to my daughter, Georgiana. And, uh, and she's like, do you know the words of this song? And Georgie's like, yeah. And she's like, did you think I said, let it go? <laughs> Georgie's like, yeah. Um, but, uh, anyway, she eventually made her way back up to the stage when, yeah. when that moment happened, but. Well, Adina Marcel is, is an interesting example. She, you know, she's big on in the theater world, right? But a lot of people didn't know her voice, which is a magnificent voice. Now, through a film, everybody does. So that's. Well, I think it just goes to show what we were talking about earlier, and that is that as musical artists in the 21st century, you have to continually be reinventing yourself. And for us, that's not only coming up with a unique style and sound that's kind of our own, but it's making sure that we're getting it on the right platforms. And today they happen to be Facebook and YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Five, ten years from now, who knows? And if we're just so stuck on staying in one place, we could miss a huge opportunity. And, mm. and so you've got to continually be kind of scanning the, the media landscape and figure out where are the eyeballs and where are the listeners and, and where do you need to be. Finally, let me uh, go around reverse order to what I have been doing. Start with Stephen. I'd like to hear a favorite Christmas music. And uh, maybe a favorite holiday tradition that you share with your family or anything else you'd like to share? I grew up uh, listening to Mac Wilberg's arrangements of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and uh, especially Christmas uh, arrangements. And so it, it was there's definitely a lot of influence coming from that, especially from an orchestral angle, because that's what I was most interested in. So that's a very big part of my Christmas tradition. Could I pause you right there? I love Mac Wilberg's arrangements, and, and so I have you a, a you know musician orchestrator. Tell me about Mac Wilberg. What makes what makes him special as an arranger? You know, he, I I feel like the the style of arranging that he and composing that he brought to the table was something that was very unique. Um, I think he was kind of like the John Williams in his own way of the choir orchestral world. Because I, I hadn't heard anything like that before where, because usually choirs were very like, we're going to do this in a cathedral kind of feel. And then orchestra was more of a, we're only going to do classical stuff feel, or unless it was a film score. But for him, he, he brought them together in a very palatable way that was accessible to a lot of people. So if they weren't even involved in the classical world at all, they could come and they'd be able to digest that musically. And it still would be very um, intellectual and very stimulating for me as well. So unpause, uh, proceed with your, thank you for that, by the way, so with, you know, Christmas music that you like, how's your traditions? Yeah, so my other traditions, uh, our family loves to go snowmobiling. We have a cabin and uh, a few snowmobiles, and, and the snowmobiles are, we don't know how they've lasted this long. Seriously, it's been like 30 years. And that's something we, we always go up there, they always break down, we always fix them, and we always laugh about it, and we go home. <laughs> I'm getting stuck. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I love it. That's a, that's a very Utah West tradition, right? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. That's great. Bradley. Yeah, as I, you know, think about Christmas music, I don't know if I have a favorite. I think just all Christmas music I've really grown to love. I I did hear a great artist the other day. His name is Leslie Odom Jr. He was a star in Hamilton and he just released a Christmas album and it's phenomenal. It's very it's a very different take on Christmas. Mm-hmm. But um in terms of traditions with my family and, and things like that, just being with family is kind of our tradition. Over the years, as I've been a performer, Christmas has kind of, how do I say this? Um, the performing season seems to take over Christmas and family. So it's a very, 
delicate challenge to kind of balance it all in a way that works for everybody. You know, I think my family's just come to understand that I'm out there serving as well, so it's okay. I don't know if that makes sense or mm-hmm. not, but um, the season is really magical, and it's wonderful to be a singer, a part of a group with a message, um, so, so we can kind of give that gift to people. Yeah, wonderful. So. Casey. So favorite Christmas music, I grew up listening to Amy Grant's Christmas album. And still today, I hear those songs, and it's just like, it just brings back this flood of good nostalgia. And um, Is that Breath of Heaven? Yeah, that album? Oh, Breath of oh, Heaven, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's so good. Like, every song in there. That and uh, David Foster's Christmas album mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, a variety of artists. But, uh, you know, just after Thanksgiving, my house was blaring with that music and we've tried to maintain that tradition. You know, I've, I'm the only one in the group with kids. I've got four kids. So, I, you know, I joke that I've got one for every member. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm, this, the offer still stands, guys, if you want to take pass them out. out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, having kids at Christmas time makes it that much better. You know, and as Bradley said, the Christmas season is crazy. And so that time between Christmas and New Year's is kind of like this sacred time where it's we don't have work. Um, we can spend it with family. And my, my first son was born on December 23rd. And so he has this thing. He loves to go to an arcade on his birthday. So like, we'll go to an arcade and like, we'll come back and we'll, we'll build a fire and like, just like simple little wintery type things that we do every year that I really look forward to. Brad. Yeah. So in our home growing up, Mannheim steamroller was Mm. like the go-to Christmas album. And, and it's funny looking back now, as I think about it, I think that was the beginning of obviously not knowing it at the time, but the beginning of me yearning for music that had all of these intricate orchestral elements that created an experience unlike anything else. And I actually remember one particular evening after a performance in college, running into this guy who I knew was a a really great orchestral arranger himself and saying like, man, I'm just, I'm just wanting to, to be a part of a Christmas project that's unlike anything that's ever been created that sticks to the classics and just, you know, transforms them into something that no one's ever heard before. And, you know, fast forward five, six years Gentry's Finding Christmas album is exactly what I was yearning for at that time. You know, and hats off to Stephen for having the courage to to reinvent songs that, frankly, it, it's, a, it's a risky thing because people have very... These songs, as Case said, are nostalgic, and, and they grew up with these songs. And, and one song for me in particular was Oh Holy Night. I've just always loved that song. It, it evokes um, all of the emotion and passion of... Of, of, of that holy night, of, of who Christ is and, and what he did. And hands down, as wonderful and, and, and beautiful as all the music that we perform with Craig Jessup and, and his brilliant orchestra and choir, that song in particular, for me and I think for all of us, um, really stands out as a highlight in the program. As far as Christmas traditions, uh, growing up, it was, it was all about getting a real Christmas tree. There's just something about the scent of pine in the house that, you know, put the stamp of it's Christmas time. Um, in fact, the first time as a kid, when my mom decided we weren't going to get a real Christmas tree and we got a fake one, I cried because I was so <laughs> mad. And this year, as Bradley Quinn said, our performance schedule has just gotten such that we're on the road, you know, three of the four weeks. 
So my wife and I had to decide not to get a Christmas, a real Christmas tree, because it was just going to be a fire hazard, because it was going to die, because we wouldn't be home to water it. So we have this little tiny, pathetic, like straight out of Charlie Brown Christmas, <laughs> Christmas tree in the corner. But, you know, we have one. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's the main thing, right? Right. Yeah. Steven, uh, Brad mentioned Mannheim Steamroller. Your name immediately came to mind. It, I don't know, you'd be familiar with that and maybe be an influence. Is that true? Absolutely. I think it would be impossible for it not to be an influence, especially with some of these songs. If you're familiar with the album, like uh, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, where there's this, this strong drive where it's like an orchestral approach to recreating a rock sound. I think that group very much helped me know what works and how we could take our own spin on that kind of sound. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. And thanks to the uh, tenors of uh, Gentry, Bradley Quinn Lever, Casey Elliott, and Brad Robbins, and their music director, Stephen Nelson, for that conversation. More information on the gentlemen at gentrymusic.com. Let's go out with just a bit more of their song, Home. Thanks for listening today. And soon, dear, you'll find me where the stars meet the sea safe in the wind. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, and also heard at upr.org.